All right, welcome again, everyone, to the Bridge of Faith. Got a little walk-up entrance this morning. So glad you guys are here. Also, I want to announce to you all that next Sunday coming up will be the Sunday before Halloween. So again, we're not going to have an actual Halloween event um, at the church. But next Sunday, if you have kids that want to come to church dressed up, uh, my wife is going to have some games and activities for them. So I know my kids will come dressed up. So if you guys have any kids or know of any kids that want to come and, you know, get some candy, play some games and come all dressed up, then feel free to do that. Um, I know, I know my, my son J.D. wants to come by as a Black Panther, but we bought it about two months ago. He's worn it about 20 times, so we haven't been able to find it yet. So we might have to make up a costume for him last minute. We'll see. We'll see. Adults, feel free. Feel free to come dressed up, whatever you want. We'll even have a contest for whoever comes best dressed. We'll give you something. I'm just kidding. We probably won't do that. But, but feel free to anyways. So we have been in our series on the book of Ruth the last couple of weeks. And it's been a blast for me to share it with you guys. Hope, hope you guys have had fun as well, get to learn a little bit about Ruth. Uh, so far, the last couple of weeks, we've been mainly focused on the family that came out of uh, Bethlehem first, right? That's Naomi and her family. We've been mainly focused on them these last couple of weeks. And what we focused on was how they left the promised land because there was a famine, but they chose to leave. It wasn't that God told them to leave, but they chose to leave the promised land to move backwards to go to a foreign country, Moab, and then to see if things were better there these, or, or to, to a see if, you know, they can get more wealth there, get more food there, get whatever it was that, they, that uh, they felt that they needed. They thought it wasn't in the promised land where God wanted them, but they thought it was going to be somewhere else. And sadly, trage uh, tragedy struck. And after losing so much, the husband passes away, both the sons pass away. Then finally, Naomi hears that God is back in Israel again, back in Bethlehem, back where, uh, where, 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 where he's supplying food to. And so she says, I got to go back. And so she tells her only two people left in her life, her two daughter-in-laws who are now widows, she tells them, go back to your own family. Be happy. Marry again. And so one of them says, okay, I love you, but okay, I'll go back. The other one says, I love you, and I'm going to stay with you no matter what. And that was Ruth. And so last week, we looked at their return back from Moab to Bethlehem. That's Naomi and Ruth. And we looked at how Naomi entered her homeland again. Everyone knew her business. Everyone knew that she and her family had left because of the famine and that God had struck them down. And, and, and so now they're back, and, it said, that, and, and uh, it said that the town was stirred because of them. And it says that Naomi confessed to them. She confessed to them that said, you know what, don't call me Naomi anymore. Because Naomi means pleasant, but call me Mara, because Mara means bitter. And so what Naomi was doing was she was confessing to them that living outside of God's will isn't pleasant. It's bitter. In fact, Naomi is going to say this. She's going to say, when I left here, when I left during the famine, I left full. Can you get that? 
that during the famine, when you don't have anything, she's saying, when I left here during the famine, I was full. But when I came back right now, I'm empty. And so that was just showing us that, man, it, it, it is always worth it to be where God wants you to be. Even during the pain, even during the confusion, even during the stress, to be where God wants you to be is always, always worth it. But Naomi's confession, we talked about last week, how it led to a testimony. And then it led to restoration. And that's what God wants our testimonies to lead to as well. Today, though, we are going to focus now on Ruth and Boaz. And we're going to focus on this love story that is in the making. I'm not sure who out there likes a good love story. I know I do. You know, the movies that come to my mind when, when I think of love stories out there is, is like the classics like The Notebook and Titanic and A Walk to Remember. And my wife, Jerry, had me throw in Bad Girls. I've never heard of it, but it's one of her favorites. I'm not sure if you guys heard of Bad Girls before. She said it's a great love story. It doesn't sound like one to me, but she loved it. So we threw that in there. Also, Jerry's favorite, all-time favorite love story is Pride and Prejudice, which I have to admit, I love it too. We've seen it probably 20 times during our times uh, together so far. And actually, me and Jerry started dating, officially dating, after watching a love story. After watching uh, Adam Sandler classic, 50 First Dates. So I'm not sure if you guys have seen that, but it is a classic love story with Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. And after watching that, I was inspired. And so we were just, you know, a young 18-year-olds just talking, what they call it at that point. We weren't official yet. And after watching that movie, I don't know, something stirred up in me. And we were at a friend's house with a bunch of people. And so we went outside. I said, hey, you know, how about we make this official? And here we are 15 years later because of 50 First Dates. Not because of 50 First Dates, but it helped. It helped a lot. And so it got me thinking when I'm looking at Ruth and Boaz and this love story that's going to be in the making was what are the ingredients? What are the ingredients to making a love story or making a love story great? And I'm talking about the love stories that we have here on earth. It's not just romantic love stories, but that's a, but that's a big one, right? But I'm talking about friendships, partnerships. Uh, relationships, every type of relationship that's out there, it's a love story. It should be a love story. And the most important love story is between us and our Heavenly Father. And you see, you and I are blessed to be part of the greatest love story of all time. You see, because usually if you're looking for a good friend or if you're looking for a partner down the line, there's some good qualities that you want in that person, right? Either to be a good friend to you or to be a good boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, whatever it is. But you want to pick someone that has some good qualities, right? Like you wouldn't go pick some person that's just a horrible person to be your friend. Like, yeah, I, I want to be friends with this person that treats me like trash. We wouldn't do that, right? But this is why you and I are part of the greatest love story of all time. Because that is exactly what God did for you and me. Scripture is going to tell us this in Romans 5, 6, and 8. Paul's going to write, he's going to say, you see, at just the right time. Here's the love story. At just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But here's the love story, you guys, right here. 
But God demonstrates his own love for us and this, that while you and me, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the greatest love story of all time. You and me, we didn't deserve it whatsoever. But scripture tells us while we were still sinners, he chose to die for us. So today, we're going to look at some ingredients of what makes a great love story and how we can use those ingredients for our relationships here on earth, but most importantly, for us and our Heavenly Father. But move forward, uh, before moving forward, let's pray. Dear God, we love you. We need you. We are nothing without you, God. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have invited us to be a part of the greatest love story of all time that we don't deserve to have with you. But you loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us so that we could be part of this great love story. Help us to make it our aim, our goal in life of making it a successful love story with you and with the people that you have put in our life. So we give you today, Holy Spirit, have your way with me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today, if you want to open up or follow along with us, we'll be in Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2, starting at verse 1, here we go. It says this, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So Boaz, it's going to say here so far, we know that he's a worthy man is what scripture says. Worthy also means wealthy. It means that he's a man of high esteem where they're at. Okay, so Boaz is this worthy, wealthy man. And this is the crazy thing about that fact alone is that this man, Boaz, he experienced the same famine that Naomi and her family went through. He experienced the same famine. How hard, it hit, how hard it, it hit Naomi and her family was how hard it hit Boaz. But yet, it tells us this, that Naomi and her family decides to leave because they think that wealth, they think that fulfillment is somewhere else besides where God wants them. And so they leave stand. So that's just very interesting to see two families face the exact same circumstance. One of them decides to leave on their own accord, while the other one decides to stick it through with God. And that man becomes wealthy. A good lesson from that is for us is don't make a life due to a difficult circumstance you might find yourself in. To get us to make a decision. Right? Now, the famine could have been happening, so that's okay because they're obeying God. But Scripture doesn't tell us that. It says that they just decide to get up and leave. And God is speaking in that wrong choice. Then by all means, listen to God. Difficult circumstance you might find yourself in. Ask God. Ask, say, say, God, what are you trying to tell me in this job that I'm just struggling with? Say, God, what are you trying to tell me with my bank account being so low? Do I need to move? Do uh, do I need to sell my car? Do I need to do something? Let's not just make our own decisions. Because when we make our own decisions, we start going on our own path. Not the path that God has for us. And in your difficult circumstance, let's be encouraged in this word right here that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10.13. He's going to say, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. No temptation has overtaken you that's not uncommon to man. He's saying what you're going through right now, what I'm going through right now, it's not something that's brand new. 
It's not something that no one on earth has ever experienced before. No matter how bad your situation might be right now, it is not uncommon to man. It's not uncommon to man. You are not alone. It is not a brand new story to God. But he's going to say, God is faithful. And he will let you be, or, or I'm sorry, he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You see, the temptation to leave the promised land because of the famine, it overtook Naomi. It overtook her, and so they got up and left right away. The temptation of, oh man, we're losing food. It looks like we're not going to have food for a long time. We need to get up and leave. It overtook them. But here you see Boaz, he stays in the famine. He, he endures it. He stays where God wants him to be at, and he ends up being wealthy. He ends up being wealthy. You see, Boaz experienced the same temptation, yet Boaz endures it because God is faithful and God is a restorer. And so I just want to encourage you right now that no matter what you might find yourself at right now is endure what you're going through. And maybe that is God saying, okay, you need to get up and go or you need to get up and do something else. But we need to learn to endure the hardships, to endure the temptations because God will always provide a way out. He provided a way out for Boaz because Boaz isn't some, you know, peasant right now because of a famine that happened. He's a wealthy man because he endured it. And because he endured it, he got to experience God's faithfulness. And God wants to do the same thing with us. You know, last Tuesday night at prayer, uh, Yolanda gave a good word during our time together. You know, uh, she was saying how, how uh, God would uh, give her this picture that, you know, she would look at her problems through a magnifying glass. Just magnifying that problem. When all along what God wants her to do and what God wants all of us to do is grab that magnifying glass and look up at him, she said, Right? Magnify God, don't magnify your problems. You see, I believe that Naomi and, and, and her family during that famine was magnifying the famine. They just had that magnifying glass on that famine and say, oh man, because of how bad this is, we got to go. But what if she just said, you know what, let me magnify God during this famine. And who knows, maybe her husband will still be there. Maybe her sons will still be alive. Who knows? We don't know. But... All I'm saying is, let's magnify God through our problems, not our, or magnify God through our problems, not magnify our problems. So let's go back to the love story here. Back to our love story in Ruth chapter 2, starting at verse 2 now. It says, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I, I shall find favor. And so Ruth says to her mother-in-law, hey, you know what, let me go to some field, let me glean in that field, and who knows, maybe I'll find favor, and then we'll be able to have some food, because right now they have nothing. Naomi said that I came back empty, she really came back empty. She had no money, no inheritance, nothing. They were poor. They had nothing at all. And so, and so Ruth is going to say, hey, let me go to some field, let me glean in that field, and who knows, maybe I'll find favor. And it says this, and she said to her, Naomi said to Ruth, go, my daughter, 
So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Check that out. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. Ruth hardly rested whatsoever from their long journey of Moab back to Bethlehem. And immediately she said, let me get back to work. Let me get to work for you, mom. Let me get to to work so that we can uh, have some food. And the kind of work that she was doing was gleaning in a field. Gleaning in a field was hard, dirty, tiring work. But you see, the whole point of it was from Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 through 10. This part of scripture, it commanded that the Israelite farmers, all Israelite farmers, it commanded them saying, hey, when you harvest your field, don't harvest everything. Cut some corners and leave some behind. And guess what? When you're bundling grain and then you happen to to, to drop it, don't go back and pick it up. But you leave that grain there because this is what's going to happen. The poor and the needy in the Israelite community, they're going to be following you. And so they're going to pick up whatever you leave behind. And this was the welfare system that God had in store for the nation of Israel. And so this is what... Ruth is deciding to do here. All on her own, she says, I'm going to get up and go glean after the reapers. And maybe I'll find favor. And this is where we're going to find our first uh, love story ingredient here. So the first ingredient for our love story for all of us is humility. Humility. Ruth didn't mind associating herself and even being considered herself as poor and needy. Because if, if you were to glean in a field, that means that out of the nation of Israel, you are poor and needy. And that you don't have your own field, but you have to go and, and hopefully you get some food from somebody that's nice to you. But Ruth didn't mind associating herself or being considered poor and needy. But she was willing to humble herself for her mother's sake. If a love story is going to be successful... In any walk of life, again, a friendship or a relationship, it doesn't matter. And most importantly, our walk with God, if if, if those love stories are going to be successful, we have to be able to humble ourselves. We have to be able to humble ourselves. And this is why. The opposite of humility is pride. You see, one of them will always exist. In every single person here, myself included, a trait that, 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 we, um, that we will always have is either going to be humility or pride. Because they can't coexist. And so my question to all of us is, which one defines us? Is it being a person of humility or is it being a person of pride? Because again, one of them is always going to exist. But it's our choice on which one that's going to be. And this is how scripture compares the two. In Proverbs 11 verse 2 it says, When pride comes, disgrace follows, but with humility comes wisdom. In Proverbs 18, 12, it says, before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. In Proverbs 29, 23, it says, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. You know, uh, lots of people, especially the people that have lived with, with me and Jerry throughout our marriage, 
they've, they've, they've asked us many times, do you guys ever fight? I mean, I just can't imagine you guys ever fighting. And don't get me wrong, me and Jerry are not perfect by any means. But one thing that I am very proud of that we have learned to do well throughout the years is humble ourselves. We've learned throughout the years that our fights don't last long at all because we've learned that when that fight happens, it's usually because one of us or both of us have chosen pride in that moment. We've chosen pride in that moment. And so we've learned to recognize that and then quickly cast that out. Quickly cast that out because scripture tells us time and time again what happens if you're proud. It's, that means that you're me brought low, right? Pride comes before destruction, scripture tells us. And so we've learned to quickly to stop ourselves and say, okay, hold up. I'm, I'm, I'm being proud right now. And so let me humble myself. Let me be the first one to say sorry so that we can really see eye to eye and talk this thing out and pray over this. And so that's just what we all need to do if a love story, again, a friendship, a relationship, most importantly, our, our walk with God. We need to choose humility. Because if we don't choose humility, then we are automatically choosing pride. And that comes destruction. You see, due to Ruth choosing to humble herself and glean in the field, it is setting up her love story. We don't know it yet. She doesn't know it yet. But there's a love story in the making between her and Boaz. And because she is choosing to humble herself, she is setting up that love story. You see, choosing to humble ourselves, it's going to set up for success any relationship or love story that we are going to be part of here on earth. So think about that. What trait is going to define you? Is it going to be humility or is it going to be pride? The second ingredient that we learn here to manufacture a love story, we learn humility, but we learn commitments. We learn commitment from Ruth here. Ruth is, is, is displaying an incredible level of commitment, but check this out. She's displaying this level of commitment first to Naomi, first to her mother-in-law. And then, guess what? Then she's going to commit herself to Boaz also. But she is committing first to Naomi by choosing to go work and glean in the fields. You see, some of us want the blessing from God first without giving him our full commitments. And you see, Ruth is going to commit to Naomi first and then Boaz is going to come. But Boaz comes through her commitment to Naomi, and God is asking the same thing from us. He knows that we want that blessing. He knows that we want that new job or, 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 or that healing in our life or, or, for, or for that relationship to be uh, restored. He knows that we want all that. But he's saying, give me your commitment first. But here's the thing. This is the level of commitment that Ruth showed. Ruth said, I will follow you, Naomi. I will go and work in the field for you no matter what. No matter what. You see, lots of people don't mind committing to something if we know what we're getting in return. But Ruth had no idea what she was getting in return. She had no idea going back to Bethlehem what Bethlehem was going to be like. She said, your God will be my God. She had no idea what the God of Israel was going to be like. She said, I'll go glean in the field for you, and maybe I'll find favor. 
Ruth could have went and gleaned in the field and got nothing that day. She could have worked all day long and got nothing. Or worse, she could have been, you know, uh, beaten up and, I mean, God knows what else. But she said, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm committed to you, Naomi. And so I'll go work in the field. I don't know what, I, I, uh, I, I don't know what your homeland looks like, but I'm committed to you, Naomi. So I'll go back. You see, that's the kind of commitment that God wants from all of us, not just committing because we know what we're getting in return, right? Like, I don't mind committing the six-hour drive to Disneyland because I know that in return, I'm getting to be at the happiest place on earth, right? I don't mind, or maybe we don't mind committing our eight- or nine-hour or ten-hour workday because we know in return, we're getting a paycheck, Right? But that's not the type of commitment that God is asking. And that's not the type of commitment that Ruth is displaying to Naomi. She is displaying an unconditional commitment. Say, I'll go back home with you, Naomi, regardless of what your home looks like. I'll follow your God regardless of what that God looks like. I'll go glean in the field for you all day long regardless if I get something in return or not. But I'm committed to you unconditionally. You see, some of us have not experienced all that God has in store for us because of our conditional commitment to him. That's a question that we have to ask ourselves. In our relationship with everyone here on earth, with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, but with your heavenly father, is your commitment conditional or is it unconditional? Because if it's conditional then it's just going to lead to destruction. But if it's unconditional, that is leaving an open door for God to work in. You know, an example might be, you know, I'll give my offering to church or, or, or you know, I'll, I'll give my offering to God when I have the money first. Or I'll give or, or, or I'll, I'll get more involved with church when I have the time. No, no, no. God is saying, test me. He's saying, give me your unconditional commitment, and then I will give you what you want, right? You see, we'll not truly encounter God until we say that I'm committed to following you, God, no matter what. No matter what that leads me, to riches or to poverty, to good health or to bad health, I'm committed to following you no matter what. You see, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, that we walk by faith not by sight. We walk by faith as Christians, as followers of Christ, and not by sight, by what we cannot see, not by what we can see. If a great love story is going to take place, there has to be humility, there has to be commitment. And so again, in all of our relationships, especially with us and God, let's ask ourselves, is our commitment conditional or unconditional? All right, now back to the love story here. In Ruth chapter 2, now looking at verse 4, we're going to look at Boaz now. And it says this, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they all answered him, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Verse 7. She said, 
Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So verses 4 and 5, it says that Boaz, we uh, kind of get a picture of, of uh, what kind of man Boaz is. He comes in, and he's the boss in charge. He comes into all his workers, and he says, the Lord be with you. Man, can you guys imagine that when you showed up to work every day, your boss just came in, opened up the doors, and announced, the Lord be with you. Man, how, how would you feel? Like, how would that start off your work day if that's how your boss decided to greet you? And we know that this wasn't no fake greeting either. We know that this wasn't just her show because it says that his workers greeted him back, saying, the Lord bless you, right? Now, we know that it would have been this fake greeting if, if Boaz would have entered and said, you know, the Lord be with you. And then all the workers just grumbled. Oh, yeah, oh, whatever, right? No, no, no. It says that they were probably even louder, right? They said, the Lord bless you, Boaz. Man, I want to encourage us right now. Make that a part of our day. Whether you're going to work or you're just going in to your family. Man, go in with a blessing. Some of us, you're in charge, Jason, right? Some of us have that weight. I mean, like, we have that weight to come enter and say, the Lord bless you guys. Some of us can say that, Right? And so I just want to encourage you, whether you have that position or don't have that position, make it a part of your life. Make it a part of that's how you greet your family. I mean, how would your family feel that when you came home, instead of them being like, oh, man, I wonder what kind of mood mom and dad is in right now. 